Hi, I'm Michelle Adams, and welcome back to the Beyond Words podcast. This is the place where we sit down with the writers of your favourite books and talk to them about the inspiration behind the stories that they write. In each episode of this podcast, you'll get the chance to meet the author behind one of my favourite books and be introduced to a novel that I have personally loved and which I think and hope you'll love too. Beyond Words is where the story continues once the final page has been turned. Welcome back to the Beyond Words podcast. Today's guest is perhaps the first real-life author I ever met. Back in 2015, when I was a newly um, accepted author, and having just sold my first book, I attended my agent's Christmas party. The first person that I met in that room was an author who told me that she was going to write books as long as they kept selling. Five years down the line, today's guest has established herself as one of the most prominent British authors of our time writing psychological thrillers and young adult books, and regularly hitting the bestseller list. With her last two books, she has also been a Richard and Judy book club pick. So I think the question of whether her books are going to keep selling has already been well and truly answered, but there are still lots of other things to discuss. And so without further ado, let me introduce you to E.L. Taylor. Right, so Kelly, thanks so much for joining me on the Beyond Words podcast today. Uh, we're obviously here to talk about your latest book, Strangers, which is publishing in paperback later on this week. But you have quite a backlist, too. So if you can just give us a little idea about your books to date, so we know um, what you've done before Strangers, and then we'll talk about Strangers. OK, so thank you for having me. First of all, it's lovely to be on your podcast. Um, I started my career writing rom-coms. Um, I had uh, two rom-coms published, Heaven Can Wait and Home for Christmas. And then I, my publisher decided that they didn't want any more. So I was sort of left without a publishing contract. And I was on maternity leave at the time. And I had an idea for a really dark story, um, which revolved around a woman sitting at her daughter's bedside and the the daughter was in hospital in a coma and the mother had discovered the daughter's diary which said keeping this secret is killing me and I wrote the first chapter Um, there was a competition on the theme of of keeping a secret that I wanted to submit it to and I did and it won the competition but I didn't know what happened next. I mean, you know, I literally just wrote it as a competition entry and because it was an idea that wouldn't go away. And then when I sort of, when I found out that my rom-com contract wasn't going to be renewed, I thought, you know, what am I going to do now? And the the head of the competition had said to me, what happens? You must write this. You know, we're all so excited to find out what happens. And I thought, well, maybe there's a market for this book. Um, And I knew that psych thrillers were probably on the edge of becoming a big thing because uh, S.J. Watson's Before I Go to Sleep and Elizabeth Haynes' Into the Darkest Corner were were both massive hits. And I thought, well, maybe this is the start of a a psychological thriller. So I wrote the rest. I was on maternity leave um, and I wrote it while my son was napping in the day. and, And I thought about the plot while I was feeding him at night and I delivered it to my agent and she said this is the best thing you've written and it ended up getting me a deal with Avon who's an imprint of HarperCollins and that was published in 2014 and it was called The Accident Um, and since then I've written a psychological thriller a year so we had The Lie which was about toxic female friendship that came out in 2015. Then The Missing, which was about a missing teenager, followed by The Escape, which was about a strange, a stranger who um, approaches a woman and threatens her daughter. Then The Fear, which was about a woman who was groomed by her karate teacher and 30 years later tries to stop him from grooming someone else. Then we have Sleep, which was a Richard and Judy pick in 2019. And that's about a woman who takes a job in a remote hotel on a Scottish island, um, only to find that one of the guests wants to kill her. And then Strangers, 
this year, which brings us up to date. That's great. Um, it's quite a backlist. It is. It's, 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 one of my favourite things is whenever I have a new book out is, is turning to that first page that lists your backlist yeah. and seeing it grow and get further down the page book by book. I, I love that. It's really, it's really great to think that you've been doing it so long because what everybody's looking for as a writer is a longevity, is to have a, a long-standing career. So somebody that has been able to publish year in, year out since when, 2014, is yeah. just incredible. Yeah, I feel very lucky to have done that. Um, you know, I wasn't one of these authors who got a massive debut deal, you know, and, and got hundreds of thousands or millions of pounds. Yeah. I had a very, very modest deal. Um, and my books have just increased in sales and my readership has increased since. Um, but like you say, the most important thing is is to have longevity in your career. Um, yeah. You know, these these massive debuts are are fantastic. Um, and obviously I would have loved, you know, <laughs> I would have loved one. <laughs> Uh, but often I think the pressure is is so huge. Um, Book two becomes even harder than it normally is. Exactly. I mean, it's, it, you know, it's it's hard enough now. We were talking briefly before you started the podcast about the, the pressure to follow up each book with another one that's even better. Yeah. Um, and I do feel that, but at least I, you know, I haven't got the weight of, you know, 40 countries and, you know, yeah. a million pound deal which yeah. must be unbearable. <laughs> it's so much pressure to deliver on the published expectations. Yeah, no, absolutely. I never want to let my readers down. Whenever I start to write a book, I just, I think, I'm very aware of my readers' comments, you know, and which book is their favourite. And I know that I can never replicate the book that was their favourite. But I do think to myself, what is it that they like about my books? You know, I, I'm fairly certain one of the things they like is the pace because yeah. a lot of people tell me I read your book in a day. So I'm like, OK, so, you know, I'm nailing the pace. So I've got to write another pacey book for the next one. And they like the twists. They like the intrigue. They like the tension. Um, and and I just try and put that into each book, but in a different way, because for me as the author, I never want to write the same book twice. Yes. And, and after having written because I've just finished Her Last Holiday, which will be my eighth book out next year. Yes. Um, eight books, eight different topics. And I'm like, what's left? What else can I what do? What can I do now? I haven't done before. Yeah. <laughs> well, I do think that your books are really pacey. That's why I love them. I read Strangers in just over, I think it was about 36 hours. You just because you're reading and reading and reading, you can't put it down. And I read the audiobook actually this time. I listened to it. And, mm. and, I, and I thought it was done really nicely. Mm. The audiobook narrator that I've used for, I think, maybe the last four books is Claire Corbett. Right. And she is brilliant. Um, and I actually saw the recording of Strangers earlier this year. You were there when they were doing it. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I sat in the... Uh, what a lovely experience. It was so nice. And also the thing is, as well, is that Strangers is set in Bristol. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, Claire, although she's got this wonderful... What's it called? Um... RP, RPL? Yeah, received pronunciation. Received pronunciation. She speaks really very well. But actually, she's originally from Bristol. So when she was narrating Strangers, she just, which is set in Bristol, she just dropped back into this Bristol accent. And it was and it very was, convincing. Oh, it's so yeah. good. It's so good. Um, and she, she narrated, which other one was set in Bristol? The Missing as well that was the first time she did a Bristol accent for one of my books and I was just like oh, oh she's so good it's nice to have someone local that knows the yes. places that feels the the area the location of the book yeah absolutely the next one won't be set in Bristol um so she she can do her her posh voice for that one <laughs> <laughs> so tell us a little bit about strangers we know it's in Bristol but tell mm. us a little bit about the concept of what the book is okay so Strangers is ultimately about lonely people and about loneliness. Um, so I was wandering around my local shopping centre. I live in South Bristol. It's not a posh area of Bristol. Um, you know, it's, it's literally, literally on the opposite side of Bristol from Clifton, which is the posh area. Of okay. 
Um, and we get all sorts um, living here. And my local shopping centre does, does attract lots of different kinds of people. And I was wandering around it and I realised that there were so many people on their own, you know, which isn't unusual when people go shopping. But I just sort of thought about people's backstory and, you know, there, there are certain some, certainly some old ladies who I do see every day who speak to lots of people. Um, and it strikes me that maybe they're very lonely. Yeah. And they come out and they go to the shopping centre and, and they speak to people because it's their interaction for the day. Yeah. So then I thought, I think I might write about lonely people and a shopping centre. Um, and I came up with my three characters. I had Gareth, who's my security guard, Alice, who works in a shop, in a clothes shop, and Ursula, who's a shoplifter. Um, but she's a kleptomaniac, so she can't help herself. And I thought, what if these three people's lives um, all came together because of a crime? Um, you know, they don't really know each other. They're sort of vaguely aware of each other. Obviously, one being a security card guard using CCTV to watch things. Yes. And Alice seeing Ursula, you know, plucking things from the racks of the shop. But what if a crime brings them all together? And that was the, the starting point, really. Um, one thing that I can certainly say about this book is that right from the very beginning, it really draws you in because the hook is really special. So tell us about that. How did you come up with the hook? And is it okay um, to share it with us? <laughs> yeah, I think I think we I, th I think it says it on the back. Oh, it, no, it doesn't say it on the back. But you you'll you know right from the the first couple of uh, first couple of lines, you you know how it starts. So the, the hook is that the three of these characters are standing around a dead body and you don't know who the body is or how it got there or how they were killed um, or why. So there's all these questions that start at the beginning, but you know the three characters were involved. Then we go back in time a week and we follow the characters' lives through separately. Um, and they each have their own mystery. So Gareth lives with his mum who's got Alzheimer's and his mum starts getting postcards from her husband who disappeared hiking 20 years earlier, presumed dead. Um, Ursula, my kleptomaniac um, shoplifter, she moves in with um, a landlord and he has this mysterious locked basement that he won't let her go in. And Alice goes internet dating and ends up having a stalker and meanwhile there's a subplot to the story about the harborside murderer which is an urban myth in Bristol when people fall into the river Avon and die is it natural causes people being drunk stumbling out of nightclubs or is there a murderer and so all of these different threads all tie together to the ending when these characters all meet it's really very special actually the way that they I mean even though they're aware of each other at the beginning mm. none of them really know each other with the exception of the people that work together but the way that you weave them all in is really really nice and and a lot of what you're doing is playing with what people's phobias are that's interesting I know ne I never thought about it as as playing on their fears I just thought about creepy situations yeah um and and I think for, for Ursula, I, when I was 18, um, I had a gap year and I wasn't allowed to go traveling. Um, my mum said I had to do a course um, in, in our local, t well, it, w it wasn't our local town because my parents live somewhere else. But I had to, I had to do a course um, and I didn't really know anybody in the town where I was doing the course. Right. So I, I found an advert in a local paper. Um, looking for somebody to take a room and when I went turned up to see the room this quite frankly terrifying landlord opened the door oh my goodness <laughs> I mean yeah I know I mean luckily I had some friends from my course with me because they, they weren't going to let me go alone um, and he showed me around and I got a kind of weird vibe off him he actually lived next door and I was actually going to be sharing a house with a bunch of strangers um, but there was there was a basement there, and uh, although I could go into that basement, um, 
it was just that whole kind of sort of creepy vibe of moving into a house where you don't know the people and you don't know the layout of the house and yeah and that, and that inspired Ursula's um that inspired Ursula's sort of subplot that feeling of just not feeling quite safe and and settled and you're you know when you're living with a stranger that is yeah that's, that's unpredictable you with a know. hole in the door <laughs> yeah <laughs> exactly. there's no lock on her door either. Yeah. I'm trying to think whether there was a lock on my bedroom door in that house I can't remember I mean it turned out to be a brilliant experience it was one of the best years of my life my flatmates were completely eccentric um and fun but you do you get you gather little bits and bobs with with Gareth getting a letter from somebody who's dead um I just thought that that was super creepy yeah um, and you know it, sometimes you know I, I was reading the other day about somebody talking about social media and death and how his mum had died six months previously and he suddenly started getting Skype messages from her <gasps> and I and I just thought oh god that's really horrible but what it was was she'd been hacked oh my god it was just this but I just thought oh god that's that is really really creepy um and and getting a postcard as well in the handwriting of the dead person yeah so I just kind of think about things that creep me out really (laughs) so you so you you write based on your own fears I think so um because then because when you're writing you really have to put yourself in the character's shoes you have to feel what they're feeling yeah and I think if it's a fear that you yourself have, that makes it easier to, to tap into that emotions. I mean, you I'm can sure feel I the could, fear. Yeah, I'm sure I could, you know, if somebody had a phobia of sunflowers, I'm sure I could put myself into that, that mindset by drawing on similar fears. Yes. Um, but it just, it just makes it easier. And also I think some fears are more universal as well, that people, you know, nobody likes to feel followed or that somebody knows their every move um talking about um themes Mm. the one of the themes in this book seems to be isolation we've already mentioned that you're inspired by people who Mm. are on their own but also Mm. grief and Mm. are these are these things that you think have cropped up in your book in other books that you've written yeah, that's interesting, actually. Um, the book the book that I'm even thinking about now, and also Her Last Holiday, is also about grief in its own way. Um, and so it started with sleep. Sleep was about um, a woman who gets involved in a car crash. Um, she's driving the car and her colleagues are in the car. Um, and a lorry um, swerves across the motorway, killing two of her colleagues and paralyzing the other one and she feels terrible grief and she also feels terrible guilt um and that's not a theme that had been in my books previously but I think it's probably tying in with the fact that one of my friends took her own life um uh, sort of while I was writing sleep so you know the grief that I felt and the guilt that I felt um went into that book quite strongly actually I'm so sorry that must have been so hard yeah yeah it was uh it was it was an awful time and I think you know it's it's where are we about two and a half years later now it's not as as painful um but you know grief lingers and and those and those thoughts lingers uh, you know the what ifs and you know what if they were still alive or you know what if I'd done something um and it it seems to be entrenched in my books um since and I think it's you know a lot of writing is about coming to terms with stuff in your own life I think so yeah and you you write your way through it and sometimes it's very thinly veiled um you know my first few books uh the accident the lie and the missing were all about my fears you know the the accident was about um you know a psycho ex-boyfriend right um, and i'd had a psycho ex-boyfriend. oh goodness me 
yeah exactly um and then the lie was about friends turning on each other and i had also experienced a friend turning on me and, and trying to turn people against me oh that's and, awful and, and <laughs> yeah, but this is why we're authors yeah <laughs> lots of people have horrible stuff happen in their life but they there's no outlet for it other than maybe to talk to friends or relatives or, yes. or a therapist as as authors we're quite privileged that we can take these sort of dark moments of our life and yeah create entertainment out of them sounds the wrong the the, the wrong way to put it but you you tap into that that sort of stuff and um and i think when you do i think I think when you put a big part of yourself and your emotion into the book that the readers feel it. I think if you're, if you're faking and, or if you're writing a book because you think, Oh, this is the, you know, these are the sort of books that have done really well. So yeah. I'm going to write one like that, but you don't put your emotion into it, then it doesn't resonate with the reader. The downside of doing this is that I'm always utterly exhausted every time I finish a book. <laughs> it's emotionally draining. Yeah, because it's like I've been through therapy for six months or something, and then I'm like, oh, finished, you know, and then I need like a couple of months off to just do really lighthearted, fun stuff, and then I can start again. I suppose it's a bit like people say about readers that they're drawn to psychological thrillers because it enables us to explore and express difficult emotions or situations or um crimes in society in a safe way and I suppose that's also for an author we put ourselves into the books because we're expressing ourselves in a safe way yeah yeah absolutely and I think the thing about psychological thrillers is that they're you know the the heroines or heroes of them are everyday people yes um, and often these situations that the characters find themselves in could potentially happen to anybody you know yes. stalkers and weird landlords or grief or you know whatever it is your your average person can relate or can imagine that that happening to them whereas things like spy thrillers and um police procedurals and stuff obviously they have a huge market but it's a very different kind of story and experience because you can't relate to a spy or you can't relate yes. to a police investigation unless you're ex-police yourself you can simply follow along with it and guess along with it but you can't become it like yes. you can yeah. become the main character of a psychological thriller i think that's very true it's so easy to imagine yourself in the role and that's why it works so well yes yeah exactly the characters just become a conduit for your own fears and emotions yeah, yeah, I think so. I think, you know, when, you, when you've got a reader frantically turning the pages and staying up late to, to find out, that is because they are so invested in the characters yes. and, and discovering, you know, what happens to them. Your characters in this book, they're all really distinct, even though you've got three voices that are telling the story. Yeah, my first, um, let me think, my first three books were all first-person um present day narratives um so i was the character all the way through um and which is which is great in its own way um and limiting in others and then when i got to write i think it was when i got to write the escape i introduced a character in the third person max the main character's husband so i had alternating chapters between the main character and Max and also a stranger um, who wrote I think in the second person but I found I, I found that interesting because the to be able to jump between characters heads for me as an author was was interesting and it wasn't as intense as always being in one character's head in the first person yes feeling everything that they feel and I thought, oh, I like this. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm enjoying writing from somebody else's point of view. And then when I wrote The Fear, I had, again, the main character in the first person, but then I had Wendy and Chloe in the third person. And, um, and I enjoyed writing in the third person so much that I thought at some point I'm going to write a book that is all in the third person. Um, and again, in Sleep, I had first person for the main character and then third person and then finally with strangers I was like right I'm just going to leap into it all the characters are going to be in the third person um 
and I I really enjoyed it and it gave me interest in that I you know if I was writing one character's chapter I was already thinking about another character that I would go to next um and so it never felt like it was getting stale or repetitive or because I was just going from one character to another and they are all very different um in terms of their characters how I got a sort of different voice for each of them I don't know other than <laughs> the magic other of than, writing yeah other than I just become the character when I'm like okay it's a Gareth character I'm like you know I'm a pot-bellied security guard who's lonely who looks after his mum with Alzheimer's who's got all of these annoying colleagues and I just felt how would I feel how would I feel if I was him and then you know and then I write I write the chapter I think it helps if they're different uh, genders and, and different ages as well. I think um, when you have, I had an interesting conversation with uh, Claire Corbett, who's the narrator of Strangers. And I said, how do you, and we, we had like a conversation about voices and characters and all that sort of thing. And I said, how do you distinguish when you've got, say, two female characters who are both in their 20s? Um, and she said that she just sort of picks up little things about them. And, and even if they're from the same place, she will try and get the intonation or the pitch or slightly different from one to another. And I think that that is very hard for an author to give two characters of a similar age from a similar place, different voices. Yes. To work really hard there. But I mean, it was almost made easier for me that in fact I had a 32 year old, a 45 year old woman and a 49 year old man other than character in this book the other thing that's important is the location because they're obviously all moving around in a single location to end up in the same place what basis do you choose it on why is it important so this this one was fairly straightforward strangers was straightforward because it was inspired by a local shopping center um the fictional shopping center that i placed them all in was not the one local to me because it wasn't big enough and it didn't have two floors. Right. So I kind of based it on one in town um, and I drew like a little map to create my own shopping centre. Yeah. But I did use local streets for where people lived and, and where things happened. Um, and, you know, like you said, that's easy because I know it. With other books, it really depends on the story as to where the location is. So for the fear, which is um, about a woman who returns to her hometown, Malvern, years after she was groomed and taken to France by her karate teacher, I realised I needed a very remote location. Um, so I kind of used the area where my parents live in the countryside <laughs> near to Malvern, which they both found really unsettling because <laughs> um, so much was familiar. But, you know, she needed to be surrounded by fields and farmhouses and all of this sort of thing to give that feeling of, of isolation. So, you know, it's a place I know, so I used it. With sleep, which I knew had to be set on an island um, that was going to be cut off by storms and the phone lines were going to go down and stuff, I ummed and about a lot of different islands around Britain I thought about Lundy for a while I thought maybe I could set it on Lundy right um and then I just happened to get talking to a friend of a friend who is the ranger or was the ranger for rum um an island off the coast of Scotland and and I talked to her about you know how do you access it how many times can you get there on the ferry and what's the broadband like or if there is any all that sort of thing yeah and um so that was kind of like a happy circumstance that that I that I discovered rum um, and then for the book that I'm that I've just finished writing, her last holiday, which is going to be out next year, um, I wanted a character to go somewhere outside of the UK and disappear. Um, and I and at first I thought, well, maybe I'll have her in Morocco, um, you know, because she won't be able to speak the language, um, and that will make things more more difficult for her. Yeah. Um, and then, and again, I was drawn to the idea of an island 
where you know once you're there you're kind of stuck there um and just chatting with female friends because i was talking about i need to do a research trip i need to go to wherever this place is where part of the book is going to take place and uh, one of my friends said how about gozo i've never been there Oh, lovely. Yeah, it'd be nice to go there for a research trip. Um, uh, I'll come with you. I think I remember you talking about that on Instagram now. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was like, actually, yeah, Gozo could work. You know, I looked into it, Gozo could work. And uh, and we went to Gozo um, after Christmas last year. And I took loads of videos and I took loads of photos. And to me, I mean, I never went to rum. I couldn't go to rum because there was half term and I couldn't get away from my family. So I had to do so much work um, looking at YouTube videos, watching DVD documentaries, all this kind of thing. But it it doesn't substitute for actually going to a place and seeing and smelling and hearing and feeling the atmosphere. Um, So that is that is so important. Atmosphere is is is, I think, the short answer. Is Gozo one of the first research trips that you've taken? Ooh, um, I think it's the first one I've actively taken. Because when I wrote The Lie, I set it in Nepal. Um, and I set it in the Annapurna range of, of mountains, which I had been to um, about oh, know, wow. six, six years earlier. So I used my memory and my photos and my videos of the time. Did you climb and when I- you were over there? Yes. yes <gasps> That's amazing. Yeah, we did a two day trek. To, oh, I've known to you for like five it. years and never found this out about you. <laughs> <laughs> I was a bit fitter then. But um, but even then, you know, that, that was a tough hike. But the, the feeling of, of getting to the very top um, we, on the last day, we, we got up before sunrise and trek to the top and we saw the sun come up and we were above the clouds. oh that's amazing you know and I think that's something that you have to experience to write about it um otherwise it's very hard to be convincing exactly I mean because obviously I you know there is no cult set up there um at the top of the Annapurna range but we did stay in guest houses so I just kind of reimagined the guest houses, made them bigger, turned it into this sort of cult-like retreat. Yeah. You know, and I, and I know what things you can hear and what you can see and, and that sort of thing and how it feels to be, you know, at the top of a mountain. Yeah. Um, but yes, I, I would love to do more research trips. I've, I wrote a young adult book um, a couple of years ago, which is also coming out next year, which is set on a Thai island. Oh, and now there's a I research know, trip. <laughs> I've loved to have gone away to research that but again I just I just don't have time I've got an eight-year-old child and a partner yeah and a dog and um it's finding the time I think when my son you know if I'm lucky and my career continues on when my son's 18 and goes off to university or whatever I'll be going all <laughs> around the world six month research trip six month writing <laughs> yeah, exactly and what about your characters in strangers did you have a favorite yes i love ursula me too i like her lots of people love ursula and it's funny actually because you know my publisher used to stress to me how important it was to have a sort of relatable every woman type character um in psychological thrillers and that was alice you know she's sort of she works in a shop she's a single mum to a teenage daughter um she's internet dating whatever um so she was supposed to be the relatable one but the one that everybody seems to love is ursula who's six foot three she's a kleptomaniac she's got a dark past um she likes listening to 80s music when she's driving around in a courier van but she's also kind um and and you see a warmth to her and she she was the person that that everybody really liked and that would message me saying oh my god i loved ursula and i think that's kind of taught me that um when it comes to creating characters if you try and create a character that is supposed to fit a wide demographic it doesn't necessarily work you have to write the characters that you feel something yes. about yeah you feel passionately about and as I wrote Ursula every time I got to an Ursula chapter I was like yay you know it's an Ursula chapter because she was fun to write you were so connected to her 
yeah and that and that came across in the in the writing and um it, the same for her last holiday i came up with this this character fran who's like 51 she's an it teacher um and she doesn't like hugs um and she's a bit sort of blunt and you know on paper she's not the kind of character you might think that everybody would like but when I wrote it, my agent and my editor both went, oh my God, we love Fran. So, you know, you, you've, got to, you've got to take risks and just, and just write what you feel passionately about. I think so. And, and I don't think that I ever have turned a book down because the character was prickly or, or unlikable. I mean, mm. one of the, my favourite characters ever was Amy from Gone Girl. I mean, she's oh, yeah. about as unlikable as yeah. as anyone could possibly get, but um, you go on their journey with them. Yeah, and I think and I think you can you can forgive um, a superficially unlikable character if there is some facet to their personality that that appeals to you. Like, so Amy was quite funny. She was yeah, quite she's very quite, funny. She's quite dry. So you you will forgive that kind of psychopathic element of her personality and the fact that she's a congenital liar and all of the rest yeah because she is funny and entertaining um and you know you read so many reviews of books saying unlikable characters i didn't like a single one of them and blah blah and i think you can get away with unlikable characters in a book but you've got to put something in there that regardless of whether the reader finds them likable or unlikable they are fascinated by them and they want to discover what happens to them so even with my un unlikable characters in um her last holiday i've got one character who is quite unlikable but hopefully you understand why she is unlikable um, and that's quite important um what about research did you have to research a lot for this book um, I think this was one of my lighter research books. Um, I'm trying to think back because obviously I wrote this book in, when did I write this book? Last year. <laughs> I, feel, I feel as though it was, it was years ago, um, but it was only last year that I wrote it. I don't think, I, I, re, I remember researching couriers because obviously, um, Ursula's a courier, so I researched courier routes, courier pay, where where parcels are dropped off, you know, how that all works. Um, oh, I researched CCTV and security guards quite strongly. Luckily, I've got a friend who um, used to be a security guard in the oh, That's helpful. So that was very helpful. Um, I did try to get to the shopping center um, that this was based on to try and get into their CCTV room. Um, I really wanted to have a look and a feel, but nobody ever replied to my emails. Um, and then a lot of it was set in people's homes. I obviously did some research into Alzheimer's. Um, and actually the, the subplot about um, Gareth's mum, Joan, was partly inspired by um, a TV programme that I'd seen on the BBC about missing people. Right. Uh, so I wrote quite a lot of notes about about that. Um, I can't say more because it gives it away. Um, so I think, you know, it was relatively light research for this one. Um, it's obviously some some books I have to get in a police uh, or an ex detective that um, I pay to answer my questions. Right. Um, but typically in a psychological thriller, I try to avoid the police being involved too much. Because, you know, things like stalkers, I mean, obviously there's a stalker in Strangers and I, I did have to run past, when she rings the police, when she reports it to the police, I did have to run those scenes past my ex-detective and he read them and he said, uh, you've made the, uh, the police sergeant a little bit harsh. I think she might be a, a bit more sympathetic. I was like, oh, okay, right, you know, so I'm dying <laughs> yeah. down. Um, so but I do try to keep the police involvement in my plots as minimal as I can, because obviously, you know, once the police take over, it's a completely different kind of book. 
um, and the, the character's less worried because the police have solved it. So, uh, yeah. Um, do you like the research, even though you didn't have to do much for this one? Is it something that you enjoy doing? Um, it depends. So for the missing, which um, has um, dissociative amnesia, um, so the main character, Claire, has these weird blackouts um, and she finds herself in different places and then she comes around and she doesn't know how she got there and stuff. I loved the research for that because um, I've got a degree in psychology. Um, so anything to do with kind of abnormal psychology just fascinates me. Right. So I loved researching that and, and reading papers and stuff about people who've, who've had um, dissociative amnesia. Um, Basically, when I set out to write a book, I tend to write about something that I'm interested in. So the research typically is interesting. It's not my favourite part. Some people love the research element of a book. I mean, I could never write a historical um, crime novel, for example, because that would be far too much research. Um, and I would ultimately find that quite boring yeah. but people who, who who write historical love historical so they find that kind of research really interesting yeah for me the best bit of writing a book is the brainstorming stage which is kind of where I am at the moment yeah. I was saying to you earlier I was having yeah. trouble sleeping last night because I've got an idea for a book and I was kind of mulling it over as I was supposed to be going to sleep the most me, exciting part it is because anything is possible and thoughts jump into your head you're like how about this how about that oh that could tie in with that and and at the time you're doing that you think this book's going to be so easy to write yeah all out in my head and then you sit down to write it and you go oh <laughs> now reality hits <laughs> yeah that covers probably the first fifth and the last fifth what happens in the middle three <laughs> that's 60,000 words that I haven't yeah. quite figured out yet <laughs> yeah exactly you've basically just got a setting and a premise and uh and you're like oh I've got no idea what happens in the rest of it and then you're like oh um but yeah I, I like this bit it's really exciting. I like it as well. When the bit when you can't sleep and you don't want to do anything else and you can't read anyone's books because you're, all you want to think about is your own. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think that's why we keep keep writing books because you know there are there are parts of writing a book that's a slog, um, but this bit, this ideas bit, where it all feels exciting and fresh and new and boundless possibilities. Yeah, it just keeps us going. And what about your schedule? What does it look like for you? Um. In what in in terms of a year or a in day? terms of well both really sort of how do you spend your writing day and how do you, how does your schedule across a book release look? Um, it really varies. This year and last year were and have been very busy because um, I also had a contract for young adult thrillers, and uh, the first one came out in two thousand and seventeen. And then I wrote the draft of the second one in 2018, but I didn't get to do the edits until 2019. And then the publication was pus pus pushed forward till 2021. So this year I've also had to do the line edits and the copy edits for the young adult book, as well as writing the first draft of Her Last Holiday and promoting The Strangers Hardback in April. Um, so it's been pretty much non-stop. Yeah, it sounds like it. I've had two weeks off um, this year, one of them because I was ill, um, <laughs> and one because we actually went away. So it has been frantic. Um, my normal schedule is to write from about 11 till about half two, um, Although my son goes to after school club two days a week until five. So that gives me longer. Um, and if I'm on a deadline, I will write, you know, then from about 11 till four. Um, but over lockdown, obviously it was weird. Oh, God. And I had to do homeschooling in the morning. So I'd write between about three and seven. Um, and then when things get more frantic and you get closer to your deadline, then I'll work weekends. I'll write till one in the morning. Um, you just you you make it work however you can, really. Um, but it's nice that the kids are back to school now. 
So I'm trying to stay in a working week, you know, 11 till half two or 11 till four. That's really um, good. And, but you know, it, it creeps into your weekend sometimes. Some sort of in a, fit in a short story or a Q and A or whatever. Um, but yeah, it's, I, I try to set myself, if I'm writing a, a new draft, I tend to set myself like a weekly word target. So I work out how many weeks that I've got until I'm supposed to deliver. And then I'll split it up by weeks and try and hit that amount of, uh, amount of words per week. Um, so I write, I write quite slowly. Um, I'm so envious of writers who like bash out sort of three, 4,000 words a day and, and get their first draft done in about eight weeks. Yeah. I'm much slower than that. I mean, over lockdown, I was terrible. It would take me four hours to write 500 words. But typically, I think I comfortably write about 1,000 to 1,500 a day. If I have to write two, two and a half, three, then I have to sit at my desk for hours and hours and hours. Yeah. Um, and then it, it feels quite grueling. But like 1,000 words is like a sort of nice amount for me, you know. And it will probably take about four hours. I'm still quite slow. And I, I just think things through a lot as I'm writing. And I can't free myself up to just let it out. You know, if I'm free writing or something like that, then I, then I let it out. But I kind of know when I'm writing a draft that these words aren't going to be tweaked that much. The other thing about this book that I quite liked is the social media element that you use these uh-huh these Twitter chapters where people are discussing what's going on, which I really loved. And I'd like to know how you came up with that idea of using that. I can't remember how I came up. With <laughs> um, you know, you, you know, an idea is just like strike you. Yeah. But I remember thinking, so I said that there's this, this urban myth, the, the Bristol pusher, that's what they call it here. Um, and people talk about it occasionally on, on social media. When I was looking into it, um, I did find several threads where people were speculating and saying, oh, maybe there's a you know, serial killer pushing people into the river and stuff like that. And I thought that is where people speculate about urban myths is online. Yeah. So because I kind of had that as a subplot in Strangers, I thought, well, I'll have people talking about it on Twitter and then I can just intersperse those conversations with the action of the main characters almost to give the reader a little sort of don't forget about the you know the harborside murderer yeah um but also i i enjoyed giving the twitter characters their own character as well um even though they literally had maybe sort of five lines each through the whole yeah. of the book you know you'd have the the sarcastic one and you'd have the pedant and you'd have the and it was just fun um and uh it does all tie together in the end I think it I think it makes it very real world because mm. that's what yeah. we're all doing right we're all using social media discussing what we are interested in it was a, it was a fun device to to use and I think you know it is a relatable one because when you know whenever there's any kind of news story people are all talking about it on Twitter and they all jump into each other's feeds to chat whether regardless of whether they know each other or not yeah that's so true before we talk about what's next mm-hmm. just Going back to strangers, tell me in sort of, I guess we call it an elevator pitch. Give me a one line, what strangers is about or why somebody would like it. Okay. Strangers is about three lonely people whose lives collide when a crime takes place in a shopping centre. People will like it if they like a novel that keeps them guessing and frantically turning the pages well you will be frantically turning the pages if you read it that's exactly (laughs) what I've been doing not frantically turning the pages because I listened to it but I was listening to it in bed with my earphones on at two o'clock in the morning I loved it no it was great in which case I guess now is the time to ask you to introduce people to the beginning of it if you're happy to do a bit of a reading for us this is chapter one of strangers and it's from Alice's point of view Alice Fletcher has never seen a dead body before. She always imagined they'd look peaceful, their skin slackened, their muscles softened, and their mouths settled, not into a smile exactly, but a loose, contented line. 
Alice Fletcher was wrong. The body lying motionless at her feet looks nothing like the soothing mental image she's been carrying around with her for the last 46 years. The mouth is open. The jaw is hinged into a silent scream and the glassy lifeless eyes are staring into the distance, somewhere beyond the toes of her sensible court shoes. Alice isn't aware of the frantic pounding of her heart, the heavy duty lino beneath her feet or the steel grey shutter that separates her from the rest of the world. Nor is she conscious of the people around her. She doesn't notice when the tall hulking woman to her left takes a step closer. She doesn't see the sweat patches under the armpits of Ursula's pale blue sweatshirt or the way her hands are shaking, one fingernail torn away, leaving behind a raggedy nail bed tinged with blood. She isn't aware of Gareth's laboured breathing or the bruise blooming on his jaw. An anguished scream from across the shop snaps Alice back into herself. There are other sounds too, whispering, sobbing, and oh God, oh God, repeated over and over again. And then there's the pain, the deep nauseating ache that radiates up her arm and across her shoulder to her neck. Alice clutches at her arm, her fingers sliding over the warm, wet polyester sleeve of her blouse. But it's not the blood that makes her stomach lurch and her legs weaken. There's a dead body at her feet and her nightmare isn't over yet. I need my phone, she mutters. I have to find my phone. Where are you going? Ursula shouts as Alice stumbles away and the frantic wail of a siren drifts through the open window. The police are coming. What do we tell them when we get here? Alice turns slowly, her gaze returning to the corpse. She looks at it for a second, two, three, then draws an exhausted, raggedy breath and raises her eyes. We say it was self-defence. Thank you so much. My pleasure. I hope my dog didn't interrupt. I could hear her barking at the front Oh, we did hear one bark, but why not? Oh, Let him, give him a voice. <laughs> Call it atmosphere back then. <laughs> He's probably thinking, where have you been for the last hour and a half? Yeah, yeah, yeah I know. Yeah. Well, listen, I'll let you go. Get back to your dog. He obviously wants something. But thank <laughs> you so much for joining us on this podcast oh, and for sharing Strangers with us. It's been so lovely to talk to you. And lovely to talk to you too. Really nice. Thank, thank you. you for having me on. Oh, it's it's really, really a pleasure to have you with us and chat about this book. I think people are going to really love it. And the paperback is coming out when? 1st of October 2020. Very good. So which anybody, is which is Thursday. So yeah. uh, we'll be sure to talk about it then. Cool. Thank you, Michelle. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Bye.